right, guys. Well, thanks for being here. Again, another 14 Development Sunday. And today we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. And, uh, you know, we have gone through so far, we've, we've hit on the vision, the mission for the church, and we've worked into our strategy of how we see us living out our mission of building a redemptive community of gospel-centered people. And uh, now we want to get into some practical things. We want to we want to take a look at you know, who God has equipped us with and what, how has he equipped them. And how can we uh, put them into different positions so that they might be able to develop their gifts. So first we've got to look at spiritual gifts in order to do that. Then over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at family ministry as a particular way that we're going to need people involved, evangelism and discipleship. And then that will take us right up to our... Our launch Sunday, which is quickly approaching. So, um, so today's topic is is again spiritual gifts. And, and before we get started, Judy's <laughs> kind of eating it out over here. It's great. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you You're too darn tall. I know. That's the well, first time I've ever had that problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's begin our time in prayer, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God who lavishes gifts upon us, that uh, we, we affirm what James says, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And Lord, you shower those down from heaven upon us. God, we know we don't deserve them, we haven't earned them. We thank you that you are a God who loves to bless and blesses us so that we might be a blessing. So God, as we look at spiritual gifts, these blessings that you have given us so that we might uh, worship you, so that we might uh, build up the body, so that we might fulfill your mission of being salt and light to the world around us, that we might delight in this and, and it might instill in us a passion and a joy to use the tools that you have given us as a means of grace, as a means for growth to build your kingdom for your glory. God, we thank you for Christ and for his atoning work on the cross, where we pray that, that your grace might be evident in us as we worship, as we study your word. And God, may we recognize that you are present here, that your Holy Spirit is, is at work even now, and we pray that your spirit will be ever-present in our hearts and our minds, that you will be drawing us to uh, a greater desire for Christ, a greater love for Him, right? a, a desire to be filled with the Spirit so that we might commend you to others. God, we, um, we want to see your hand at work here, not as a display of your presence or your glory, uh, but just so that uh, we, we, can, we can bask in, in your greatness and that others, as they see uh, your work in bringing us together and equipping us uh, to fulfill your mission, that they might glorify you. I pray that when people look at Redeemer Church, they don't see a bunch of individuals who uh, profess a belief system, but they see the body of Christ. That they see your hand at work. So God, we pray that in this time you might be honored, our hearts might be warmed, and that Christ might be exalted. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to 
try to sing a song again. And I emailed this song to you. Hopefully you had a chance to, to learn it. I realize it might be new to some of you. Um, but it just talks about the Holy Spirit and what His work um, mainly is. And, and so we want to commend this. We want to focus our attention on God the Holy Spirit and what He does in the hearts and lives of, of those who He has called. And uh, so we'll sing that now. Thank you. 
Well, uh, our statement of faith says, uh, makes this statement of the Holy Spirit. And I just want us to read it together. I want this to be a time of confession, not just reading words upon a screen, but this is a time for us to gather together as one body to affirm a particular truth about God the Holy Spirit. So as we as we read this aloud, let's make sure that, that we are commending this to God, that this is an opportunity for us to worship, to ascribe worth to God by saying, this is who God the Holy Spirit is. So let's read together. We believe that God the Holy Spirit brings glory to God and the Son. He applies the work of Christ to believers and distributes spiritual gifts to every believer according to his sovereign good pleasure for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. He is the spirit of adoption, the seal of our salvation, the sanctifier, and the guarantor of our inheritance in Christ. Now, there's a lot here. We're not going to be able to focus on all this today, but what we want to focus on is this highlighted portion, that, that God the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to every believer according to His sovereign good pleasure for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. That's what tonight, today is about. So, um, this might seem a bit unrelated, but I was, I was uh, reading a news article today, or this week, but I read it obviously again today. And the headline is this. Um, Health and safety argue over a man who died in 18 inches of water as emergency teams were told it was too risky to rescue him. What had happened was there was this man, uh, Carl Malton. Um, he was walking down a road late at night near his home in, uh, in Crowland, England, and he was struck by a car and he fell into a dike, much like this one up on the screen. Um, health and safety arrived in about 14 minutes, uh, but then they, um, I should back up, the, the driver immediately called 911, which is 999 is their, their service, and, and asked what they should do, ready, eager to respond, and, and the operator said, wait, we're sending somebody. 14 minutes later, someone arrives, but began to search around the part of the car where it was clear that, that he wasn't struck. 19 minutes later, an ambulance finally arrives, and the EMT discover him down in this dike. And it's about a 15-foot drop down into this, this man-made ditch. And, and they, get, they found his body there. Uh, but then they reported back to their supervisors, and they were told that a risk uh, assessment had to be done. So their supervisor arrives, they do a risk assessment, and they decide, you know what, this is the, the dike. The, this is not the dike, by the way. Uh, the, the, the dike embankment was too steep and unstable for them to go down. They, they needed to proceed with caution. So at that point, they called the water rescue safety from, from 50 miles away to then come over. By this point, the man's family had gotten word, and they had started to arrive on the scene. And they found the, the firefighters, the policemen, and the EMTs drinking tea while their family member was down in this ditch. It ended up taking a little over three hours for them to finally pull this man's body from this dike, and they realized that it was only 18 inches of water. Now, obviously, the family, the people that read this article, 
were infuriated by this fact. Here are men and women who were trained, who were equipped to go in and do this service, the service that they were called to do, but yet they didn't do it. They were drinking tea. They were disputing over protocol. They were they were arguing over you know whose right and privilege it was to, to go down there. And as a result, this man died. Now I think about that, and it, it makes me angry because you know, a 15-foot drop in 18 inches of water. When I was a kid, I would jump down that. I would jump down into creek beds like that and be fine. I could, you could at least flip the guy over, you know, and try to resuscitate him right there. You don't have to get him up out of the bank, but preserve the man's life. And we, we read stories like that, and we should be angry. We should be. But, you know, the church is just as guilty when it has been given grace, God-given tools like spiritual gifts, and then not use them to sit idly by and, and miss opportunities. When we pridefully dispute over what we have, you know, our spiritual gifts or over positions, our positions over others, we end up crippling the church through our factions and divisions. When we delay when we're slow to act upon the gifts and the calling that we have received from God, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And when we are afraid to use our gifts, or worse yet, are unwilling to use our gifts, then we actually put souls at stake, both those outside the church and inside the church. You see, the story, it does relate to what we're talking about today. It relates to this idea of spiritual gifts and the failure to use them. And I, I do not want it to be said of us that we had so many opportunities, that we had so many giftings, but we stood by and we drank tea while people perished. And, you know, we spiritual gifts are, they, these are God's implanted contribution to men and women in order to build up His church. And He's not left us wondering how to use them. He's given us instruction. And what we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians 12 sets aside exactly what these things are. They, they give us the instruction, the protocol for what gifts are and how we're to use them. And so, even if this might be old hat to some of you, you might have reached, you know, you might have studied this, might be really familiar with it, I pray that, that we take this seriously. That even if this story, that this uh, biblical truth is an old truth, that it would enliven in us a greater passion to use our gifts for His glory so that we might be God's first response to His church and to the world. You know, as we, <clears throat> that first Sunday, we signed our quarantine covenant. And uh, we covenanted together as individuals. We we affirm this. Upon joining the core team of Redeemer Church, you agree to share your resources, to use your God-given time, finances, and gifts and talents to build up the community of faith. And gifts as spiritual gifts. God has given us them. We want to use them. And as a church, upon joining the core team of Redeemer Church, Redeemer Church agrees to train you. Redeemer will provide you opportunities provide opportunities for you to identify and develop your gifts as well as skills for ministry. So what we want to do 
right now in this time is to help you identify how the Lord has equipped you specifically to help us as a church fulfill our vision and mission for the church. So what we're going to do is this week we're going to give the biblical instruction for spiritual gifts and then in two weeks we're going to take a look at what the results of our spiritual gifts inventories. So I think you should have all received email regarding the spiritual gift inventories uh, and I'll give some more instruction about that later on but we want to have those prepared on the 30th when we come back uh, to talk about how the Lord's equipped each of us in that. So uh, let's go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> now, we're not going to be able to cover everything with regards to spiritual gifts. Issues of continuation, of revelation, of what is miraculous or not, we're not going to be able to go there. If you're interested in knowing my position or the, sort of the the uh, position of the, the elders, we'd be happy to explain that. I'd say that we're sort of, there's this line between cessationist and open but cautious. We're right there, kind of on either side of it. And I can explain that more in detail. And I can also point you to a lot of resources if this intrigues you. A lot, a lot of great books that you can, can read on this. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. Uh, let's go ahead and read. Would somebody read verses 1 through 3? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray in mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So we kind of have to dig for it, but what is Paul's ultimate point in, this, in these three verses? absolutely true. I, I would probably go one step in addition to that, saying that those who truly say that, who truly believe that, it's clear that they, too, have the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you know, all who have a genuine faith, who truly confess Christ, have the Spirit. Therefore, they are a benefit to the church and should not be excluded. Uh, I should give a little bit of context of what's happening here. Um, in, in for, this is actually a response of Paul to the Corinthians. The Corinthians had written a letter, and one of the things that they had asked was, what's up with spiritual gifts? What are the greatest spiritual gifts? And it seems like the Corinthians were, uh, were exalting tongues in particular as the greatest spiritual gift, the one with the most notoriety, the most glory attached to it, uh, and evidence of the most faith. And so they're wanting to affirm this with Paul. And Paul's response, I mean, it's right from the get-go, is saying, look, anyone who can stand up and truly say, Jesus is Lord, they have the Spirit. They have the Spirit. Therefore, they, it's not a matter of showing partiality or favoritism over some things, but this is really what it's about. And we have to remember, yeah, anyone can say Jesus is Lord in you know tongue-in-cheek, but he's obviously speaking of confession here. 
that this is a heartfelt belief. This is something we're willing to die for. And at the time, that's exactly what was happening. I mean, it was not an easy thing to say, Jesus is Lord. I mean, your life was on the line. Um, <clears throat> so, therefore, you know, each person, we should appreciate them and not exclude them and look for ways they can serve the church according to the measure of faith that God has given them. Um, and then in verses 4 through 11, Paul goes on to explain that the church is to be unified as a result of the diversity of gifts that they receive. So, would somebody read verses 4 through 11? There are varieties of gifts of the same Spirit. There are varieties of service of the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between the spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's focus our attention on verses 4 through 6 really fast. Do you notice something in particular here? It says, you know, variety of gifts with the same spirit, variety of service for the same Lord, variety of activities with the same God who empowers all. What do you see there? Three things mentioned in the second half of each stanza. Kind of hard to. Trinity. The Trinity. Yeah. So, it's interesting here that Paul is arguing that unity and diversity is reflected of and grounded in the Trinity. Would you realize that there is a diversity within the Trinity? How so? Different roles. Different roles, yeah. But one essence, right? One essence, three persons. That's what we you know, affirmed in many a creed throughout history. Yeah. I mean, here, here's God. You know, one supreme being that has these different persons who have different responsibilities. Uh, if you could use alliteration to maybe highlight what they are, God is the architect, Christ atones, and the Spirit applies. Might be an easier way to remember some of the distinction and what their roles and responsibility are. The, the Son submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to both the Father and the Son. So there's this, um, even though they are the same being, there's this distinction in what they do, you know, how, how they apply God's overall redemptive plan towards us. And Paul's point here is that if there's unity and diversity within the Trinity, it should not be surprising that there's unity and diversity among the body of Christ. So, you know, that's that's an important distinction. Um, so moving on, um, who gives these spiritual gifts? What does Paul say here in the text? 
kind of church answer. It's not God. <laughs> it's probably number five on the list. But the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Yeah. In verse 7, he says, it's manifestations of the Spirit. This is revealings of the Holy Spirit. Um, in verse 8, it says, through the Spirit, according to the same Spirit. Verse 9, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. And then verse 11, all are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I mean, Paul's pretty emphatic here. I mean, he's, he's trying to make sure, hey guys, these gifts clearly come from the Spirit. You didn't earn them. You don't deserve them. They're not yours to, to claim right over. They're not something to boast about because they were given freely apart from anything you deserve or anything that you have earned. These are spiritual gifts. You have them if you have the Spirit. You have them if He so chooses. Therefore, we cannot name it and claim it. There's no room for boasting because our faith is greater or because we have this gift or that one or uh, or that one... Um, because, again, they're gifts from God we, we cannot earn them. And we've... We've talked about this before. You know, I've, I've been pretty emphatic, you know, through our community group as we looked at Acts 3 and Acts 4. Um, the first time we met for our core team development, when we looked at Act, uh, Romans 12, 3 through 8, kind of talked about it again there. Um, these are gifts from God. He alone dictates how and when they are used and what they are used for. All of this has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Him. They are spirit given gifts. And this is so important for us to realize this. You know, if, if this was the key realization, I think that it would change the way spiritual gifts is discussed so much today in the church. Um, so who are the text, who does the text say that these spiritual gifts are given to? church, yes, believers, each person individually, right? Yeah. As they comprise the body, yeah. And then, why are they given? Verse 7? For the common good. That's right. Not for the individual good, not to build up an assurance of faith or be a cause for boasting, but they're for everybody to be used for the glory of God and for the good of others. Spiritual gifts have nothing to do with us. Absolutely nothing. Other than this is a tool that God has given us so, so that we might serve others. I mean, it's completely selfless. It's meant to be. The Spirit empowers and apportions each to each one individually as He wills. So, based upon this, what we've learned so far, let's try to just give a definition of what spiritual gifts are. How would you define a spiritual gift based upon what we've looked at? A selfless gift and empowered by your grace. That's a really good definition. Yeah? Anyone else? Are you reading from your study Bible? No, I'm not. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. 
what the text says, manifestation of the Spirit, revealing to the Spirit, that this is the Spirit working in you. Okay? I think that's a good definition. Um, I would, my own definition is something like this. Spiritual gifts are special abilities determined by and influenced by the Holy Spirit that enable us to administer God's grace to others. This, the administration of this grace to others is variegated and multifaceted. In other words, uh, the use of spiritual gifts doesn't always look the same. It, it's uh, displayed in all sorts of shapes, sizes, and colors. And that's what he goes on to then remind us in the rest of the chapter. So let's look at verses 26, uh, 12 through 26, which talk about the analogy of a body. <clears throat> Somebody want to read that? Because if we are back to the body of Christ, we know what that is. 
Mm-hmm. We need to know how to act in the body of Christ to be essentially understanding this. Mm-hmm. That we are united, that we understand that, you know, Jim and you don't have a different spirit than we have. You know, that there is no division, as it said here in the text. We're all one in Christ. Yeah. And one's honored, we're all one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I, I would affirm that unity, that's, that's a big... Um, purpose in this analogy and understanding of us as the body of Christ. It's unity, but then also it's the body of Christ. So it also recognizes the headship of Christ. And I think that's the, I think it's I think it's twofold. I think it's both of those things. I want I think Paul wants us to all know we are we are unified, but that unity is in Christ as our head. That's what I think. Any other thoughts on this? I was just talking about the diversity of the different parts of the body, and that if we all aspire to be the same way or to do the same thing, that the body wouldn't function. Yeah. That's right. So maybe another way of saying that is that each member is inherently valuable to the body. Would you not? Any other thoughts maybe from this side of the room? Well, in uh, yeah, in verses 14 through 20, that that's kind of the, the main thing that I see is because every member of the body is valuable. That's why you know Paul wants to point that out. I love the comments of what both Keith and well everybody said, um, but just the unity, the, the being surrounded in recognition of the headship of Christ. Um, we don't despise the gifts that God has given to us, nor do we elevate certain gifts above others. Rather, we use them to God's glory in order to build up the body. So without, like, like uh, Jessica said, without diversity, there is no body. And if we all have similar giftings, we'd not be able to properly function as a body. Therefore, we should rejoice at the fact that, that we have received a variety of gifts and that they have been given by God. Um, so each of us need to remember that God has chosen this gift for you and it is for God's glory and for the good of others um, and then in verses 21 through 26 yeah, I think Paul's trying to hit home that every member of the body is necessary and that all should be honored um, you know, we need one another it's, an eye cannot stand without a foot you know it's just an ear cannot hear apart from being attached to the rest of the body. We we need one another. Each part is indispensable. And it's it's neat to see that he said that those who seem to have less value need to be held with more honor. Um, those unpresentable parts... Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'll let you finish your thought before I ask my question. Now, that's probably possible, isn't it? That's Go ahead. Um... I wholeheartedly agree that is exactly what Paul's saying. My question is, how do we do that practically? How you know, because let's face it, you know, every in, in almost in every church I've ever been in, the the preacher, teacher, is held up. And that gift seems to be valued. So much so I remember 
uh, you know, being on staff at the church one time, a long time ago, where um, the church had this, I remember someone in the church saying to the other staff, other than the pastor, we have a commitment to take care of our pastor, but we don't have that same commitment to take care of you. In other words, with by, you know, regular uh, regular raises, taking care of the staff financially. They just they, they, they said we don't we're not we don't have that commitment to you because we get that commitment to our pastor. Um, and, and I kind of felt like they were saying we value his gift above others. Yeah. And and let's make that that just happens so often in churches. How do we and especially what you just said those that seem to be and it's only seen uh, to be of less value. They need to be honored above all. How do we do that? How do we practically honor above all? I don't mean... I know I said the words. No. No, 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 no. Yeah. Open floor. Anyone want to try to answer Jim's question? No intentional about uh, about acknowledging, identifying, edifying those gifts that we see in the body other than from those of position, right? As people come into the church that we are quick to, you know, help them to see and develop the gifts that God has given them. Is that a fair summation? Okay. Anyone miss anything? Okay. I think she said it better. She probably did, yeah. Okay. Okay. What are some other things? It's a hard hard line to to deal with, especially with, I guess, the way we emphasize spiritual gifts, we need to make sure we don't emphasize, you know, preaching and teaching above all else. Like Jim's illustration that the preacher and the teacher... He was somehow the only one on the staff who really they were supporting. Um, so that those who do the uh, the other the, those who practice the other gifts, maybe it's uh, you know service, maybe it's uh, you know, discipleship, whatever you know. I know discipleship is not a spiritual gift, but whatever the other spiritual gifts are, we need to make sure that we dwell that we emphasize the importance that we don't let those who serve in the nursery every Sunday or every third Sunday or, you know, those who teach Sunday school become of less value than the teacher, but instead encourage and exemplify those things. You know, lift up those things as, as valuable. I, I hear what Pete and Kayla are saying, and I agree but then I would come back, I would push back on that and say, how? 
lift up those other gifts. For example, um, there will be a time in the life of Redeemer when there will be a team of people who most likely have the gift of service who will be setting up every week all of our... our they'll set up our worship service, our worship center. You know, they'll, they'll be... It could, I mean, it could be that they'll be hauling in a sound system and hauling in chairs and setting that, all that up and taking it all down and hauling it away. Or it could be just coming, you know, I mean, it could... In that case, everybody has the gift of service. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's quite likely that that's going to be the reality. How do, we, how do we lift up those who have the gift of service in that context? How do we do that? I, I agree we should lift them up and their giftedness, but how do we do that? How is that accomplished? I kind of see it as both it has to be coming from the, from the pulpit or from the pastor slash elders, and then also encouraging. So it's, it's one thing, because it can still be really behind the scenes, I think, if, if we individually are kind of working one-on-one to establish and identify gifts, but if we're being encouraged from the pulpit to see humility in the teaching there and to be lifting up other gifts there, maybe that's maybe a more practical way. Um, Maybe letting people know this is what's going on or these people are getting together to help do this or, I don't know, just kind of thinking in those terms. Yeah. My pushback question is, how did you guys do it? Who, who's the you guys? The, you mentioned this was a part of the ministry team you were on that said this. How did you all take that response and push back? <laughs> I left. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> never mind. Maybe how should you have? <laughs> actually, actually, here's what I did. I went to the pastor. And I said to the pastor, you know, pastor, I appreciate the fact that this congregation takes care of me financially. I'm glad they do. I not, and I don't think you should, you know, get your salary dropped or any of your benefits reduced, nothing like that. But it does concern me that the congregation doesn't have the same ideas and value for the rest of the staff as they do for you. Um, and, you know, I... I shared my concern, and and he didn't really seem to know what to do, and so then I left. You don't know talk about? You don't? Wow. Uh, did I never tell you about that conversation? Uh, I don't know. Huh. Interesting. You know, one of the gifts are the ones that are more in the front or behind the scenes. You know, the motivation. definitely an element there where it's incumbent upon each person individually when they 
their gifts are identified than to use them uh, as a means. I, I think you know, sort of another practical way is that we are willing to have those who step up and take on positions of responsibility that are not driven by pay. You know, that, that we rely upon non-vocational leaders. Uh, we try to divide that in the plurality of elders so that it's not focused around one or a few or, or even a staff. Um, those are um, those are all always. There needs to be an emphasis on, you know, a highlight, a focus on appreciation of those non-teaching, preaching, prophesying kind of gifts. Yeah, that that we as a church want to commend those things. We want to encourage those things. We want to see people step up in those things and give them opportunities to do that. If we're just, you know, I mean, we're a church that wants to be heavy in proclamation, but if all we're doing is proclamation, then we're not. Uh, providing those opportunities for those gifts to be exhibited and appreciated. Um, and also, I think it's just a matter of uh, individually recognizing the value of each person. You're just showing, commending love towards one another, not just to those who are in the line of you know, that, that we, as individuals, are always uh, quick to encourage, quick to give thanks for the service that they see rendered. Um, and yeah, I think all those things can be Do you have any other thoughts? Um, question? I, I think that this has sort of been um, tossed around. In, oh, it's either implied or maybe it's even been said, but, uh, you know, s- some regular publicly expressed appreciation for individuals or groups or, or teams of individuals who have a particular gifting and serve in a certain way. Let me go back to the example of the setup team, you know, the, the facilities team, whatever they're called, you know. The, there needs to be regular public expressions of appreciation to those guys, mm-hmm. those people. When I say guys, I was usually that and me gender, that was a gender neutral guy. Uh, those individuals, yeah. you know, hey, a big thank you to, you know, Joe and Bob and Nancy and Fred and Gloria who set up today. Yeah. Appreciate them. Do what you can to help them. You know, whatever. Yeah. Something like just, you know, not every, you know, don't want to give their, don't want, don't want to have every time we're public this long list of people we have to think like at the Academy Awards, you know. Exactly. But, but definitely, from time to time, some publicly expressed appreciation, and then, and then, as you've already indicated, all all individuals being very faithful and obedient to recognize the giftedness in others and affirm those. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you was mentioned, I think, last week, but we ran out of time, so we weren't able to do as much as what I'd hoped is like identifying evidences of God's grace in others. This is a huge one as a means of encouragement to one another and something that I try to practice regularly and when I meet with people looking for ways that I can see God at work and then commending that to them, uh, especially in giving thanks for their service. But if we can make that sort of a, an inherent habit as we gather together individually, you know, a couple at a time, whatever, that, that we are looking towards 
you know, how can I encourage them? Not flatter them, but encourage them in the faith by evidence, by looking for these evidences of God's grace. So, yeah. Well, let's keep moving. You know, he, uh, you know Paul's highlighting that, that these unpresentable parts must be cared for. Um, and these apparent weaknesses, it's funny, though. They, you know, he says have no relationship to the real value and necessity to the body. In fact, you know, he mentions, he, he puts in contrast sort of the eyes, the ears, the hands, the feet in these unpresentable, unmentionable parts, these supposedly weak parts. The irony of the body, the human body, is that it can exist without a hand, without a foot, without an eye, or without an ear. But you take away some of those unpresentable parts, and that body cannot survive. And that's an important thing for us to keep in mind, too. As we look, we need one another. We need each person. There's no person in this body, even if they're infants, that have no value to this body. You know, each person is important and must be considered. Um, I mean, this is, this is sort of the amazing thing about the way that God has composed the body, so that there would be no division among us. Um, Luther, Martin Luther says it this way. He uses the illustration of the sun. He said, The sun does not say that it is black. The tree does not say that I bear no apples, pears, or grapes. That is not humility. But if you have gifts, you should say, These gifts are from God. I did not confer them upon myself. One should not be puffed up on their account. If someone else does not have the gifts I have, then he has others. If I exalt my gifts and despise others, that's pride. The sun does not vaunt himself, though more fair than the earth and the trees, but says, Although, tree, you do not shine, I will not despise you, for you are green, and I will help you to be green. That's how we use our gifts. And, I mean, you see this played out in nature. I mean, think about the analogy of the sun. I think it's really good. I mean, the sun is this big, powerful... Yeah, has this divinely given ability to bring life. And it could be a reason for boasting, but as it shines its light faithfully, doing as it was called to do, life springs forth. The tree takes that light, changes it into energy so that it can live and be more green. Life abounds because the sun is doing its job to faithfully shine. And so each of us, as we have identified our gifts, as we use them faithfully to the glory of God and for the good of others, that builds up the body. That builds up the church. And, what, and, and Luther's, uh, that quote from Luther, he also speaks against false humility. Mm-hmm. That whole, the sun doesn't say, well, I'm black, yeah. or I'm dark. Um, and... and <laughs> The apple tree doesn't say, oh, I don't really bear fruit. You know, it, no, that, that's false humility. And false humility is really pride. Yeah. 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 So, and when we do that, when we're focused on, on using our gifts, you know, there, there's an intimacy there. That the body is growing, growing upwards, but it's growing together in its unity. And the result is that we share in sufferings and the honor of one another. We rejoice together. As one suffers, all suffer. As one is honored, all receive honor. As one rejoices, all receive, you know, all rejoice together. And we can only do that as 
there are no divisions among us. Uh, then verses 27 through 31. God appoints his people to their position. Can somebody go ahead and read that? 27 31. Now are you now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Do all earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. You know, Paul's saying, you know, these, these observable gifts are given to the church by God in variety. And with that comes a variety of roles and responsibilities. And this is clearly observable in the church. You know, he asks these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all... The answer is obviously no. They're not. God clearly distributes a variety of giftings, a variety of roles. Um, so there is indeed, and there always was intended to be, a diversity of giftings and roles. Um, and that's, that's okay. That's fine. The point is that we don't exalt certain things over others, you know, even in roles. That and, you know, it's not right for us to to take it to be in a church and say, well, you know, that we have this commitment to our pastor, but we don't have it to our staff, or you know, we have this commitment to our staff, but we don't have it to you know the layperson, the volunteers, or to you know, uh, I I I almost put a job over the fact that the volu- the pastors were treating the volunteers uh, very poorly. Um, it was really sad to see. You know, just, I, I don't even understand that. Um, but even the weakest, the most needy uh, person within the congregation is valuable and should be honored. Um, I'm curious, verse 31, Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. What does he mean? He says earnestly desire in 14.1 and in 14.39. Those in terms of earnestly desire gifts, especially prophecy, and then in 39, uh, earnestly desire that you might prophesy. Uh, does Paul expect them to try to attain gifts they don't have? Does If the Spirit apportions to each as He wills, and we are not to despise the gifts that we have been given, how do we handle this imperative to earnestly desire That's a good question.
not completely leading spiritual gifts, but talking about that, talking about spiritual gifts always need to be talked about and practiced in the context of 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. Mm-hmm. So I've always, I've always looked at that statement, like Judy said, transitioning, and I, and I think he's talking about love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely agree with that. The one difficulty with it is that he goes back to it in 
um, the Corinthians, and so he kind of says, well, prophecy is more important because everybody can hear and understand. Tongues is kind of self-exalting. So, and this plays into this the, the love idea, right? That what is done is done for love. It's not a means of boasting or, you know, uh, overshadowing others, but it's a means of, of encouraging the body. Um, so I, I think I, I answer this question in a few different ways. Um, first, I said, you know, we need to remember that it is written to the church and not individuals. Um, he has argued that they are to consider themselves one body. And so I think that he is saying here that they are to earnestly desire to see higher gifts present within the church, meaning that there is at least somebody that displays each of the gifts so that there might be, they might not be missing any gift at all. Um, that's, that's one answer. That I, think, I don't think it's like an either or. I think it's right. kind of a, a both and right. sort of a situation. Second, and I think that Judy was alluding to this very well, uh, that Paul is calling them to redefine their categories of what are higher gifts. Everything is to be done in love, right? It's not what causes them to steal the show or to outshine others, but what is best for the building up of the church, not exalting themselves. And this leads into a natural transition into 1 Corinthians 13, does it not? If I yeah. speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, if I prophesy and have knowledge, and also if I have not love, I'm a banging gong and a clean mm-hmm. So he's okay. challenging them, look, you've got the wrong idea about higher gifts. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Yeah. Just right on, on target yeah. for what you were saying there. Third, I think that he's referring to the fact that these gifts do not work automatically. They are not in a state of permanent activity. And Keith, you were kind of bringing this up. Do we always have spiritual gifts? Um, Again, I I don't believe that we could ever refer to a gift as being my my gift um, because they need not be continually active. In Numbers 11, when you look at that, um, you see uh, the elders of of Israel, 70 of them, were able to prophesy one time and then never again. And I do believe that God equips people, even for one moment, to fulfill His purpose in ways that are uniquely gifting from the Spirit that we do not have in and of ourselves. This could be one moment. This could be almost a lifetime. I mean, you see this even in the prophets. Some prophets only had a few prophecies. Some, they were come, you know, people come to them all the time because they received prophecy just like this. Yeah, and that's, that's again, God's prerogative to give those as he will. Um, so, you know, we, we don't have, I don't believe that we necessarily have permanent possessions of them, but God equips us for the task he's given us. Um, and then fourth, I think Paul is using this question, this rhetorical question, to encourage them to develop their gifts. I mean, you think about, you know, he talked to Timothy. In, in 2 Timothy 1.6, he said, Fan into the flame the gift of God that He is that you have received. In 1 Timothy 4.14, he said, Do not neglect the gift within you. So, this leads me to another question. How do we develop our gifts? We figure out first what they may be. Yeah, then? We give people opportunities to use them. Use them, yeah. And we talk about this when we looked at uh, at, at Romans 12, 68. If, if prophesy, 
in proportion to your faith, and serving, if serving in your service. You know, just on and on and on. Paul goes down to this list, and he's saying, look, if you have this gift, the way to develop it is to use it. It means nothing if we fill out an inventory and then we don't act upon the gifts that God has given us. Yeah. Oh, I have to get to discern it also. Yeah. Put it down. Inside. Yeah, go around and, it, you know, yeah. when people ask you. Not that I have to get to, I'm just saying. Yes. I was, I was playing a role there. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's exactly what happens in so many cases. People take these spiritual gift inventories and they're like, cool, I do have the gift of discernment. I have the gift of shepherding. I have the gift of, you know, giving or whatever. And then I, you close it, you put it away. And the only time it ever comes up is when somebody asks you, hey, what are your spiritual gifts? You know? Shepherding, teaching, and, and uh, apostleship. What yeah. do you do? How are you doing that? I sit in the pew. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then... I, the other just caution here is that and I, I think we've got around that to a great deal by having other people fill out the gift inventory as well as that it's easy to pick what you want. Yeah. I want to see this, but it's going to be, I think that I was really encouraged and edified to see, you know, get two or three other people to do it with for you. That way you have a good feedback and people who know you perhaps a little better than yourself. Yeah. And, and, and I'd like to say that when it comes to these inventories, you know, we, I, I think this, I think this happened among the, the elders when we were discussing this. I know what happened in my mind. I, I, I kind of, a, a little, I struggle with even using an, an inventory because I'm afraid of that very thing. We think, oh, well, I, how I scored on my, on my spiritual gift test, I must have that gift. And, and, and I don't see necessarily the pattern in the New Testament, the way we discover spiritual gifts is by taking a test. Unless the test is relationships and observation by the by the community of faith, and then them affirming in us the giftedness that we perceive, that manifestation of the spirit that we have received, you know, it's it's the affirmation of the community of faith. Now, one of the ways around that is is by getting others and the community of faith to fill out the inventory for you. Um, but still, even at that, when we come back on the thirtieth and and we scored certain ways on these spiritual gifts, I mean. That's just meant to be a little bit of a guide. Uh, let's explore that, and then we're going to be able to see in each other through observation and experience if that gift is confirmed and affirmed. Okay, that's my two cents. Actually, it's been about five <laughs> Good. Well, hey, we're, we're wrapping up here. Uh, and the last thing he says is that you know, we're not going to look at chapter 13, but all gifts are pointless without love. You know, we've already kind of alluded to this. Paul actually points them to something greater. And you know, I don't think it's... It's a fruit of the Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And I think that that's different than a spiritual gift. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that this, is, uh, this is not in the same sense of tongues or prophecy. Our prophecy that, that this is spiritually endowed way of life that is given to all those who are in Christ. It is a mark of those who are truly Christians. Love is. And so Paul says that we are to pursue it, which I think goes above and beyond this earnestly desiring you know, higher gifts. Um, love is to be yoked to our desire for any gift, and we've kind of alluded to this, so that when it, um, and when we do so, it changes the way we view our spiritual gifts and what they were intended for. So may it always be done in love. You know, we've kind of hit on some really good truths. So, again, we, we've gone through uh, some teaching on, on what spiritual gifts are, and, and the message to us is that in love, 
let us earnestly desire um, to identify and to use our gifts to the glory of God for the good of others, both to build up the church and to fulfill our mission of being salt and light in the unbelieving world around us. And that's that's the goal. It's not it's not stopped just by identifying what some some characteristics are. So let's let's explain this uh, um, the instructions for these gift inventories real quick. We've kind of already talked about some stuff. Um, first, begin with prayer, guys. You know, one of the ways that we can avoid this, you know, filling out based upon what what we're thinking about the most or what we desire for our gift to be or whatever that is, instead of the sun calling ourselves black or you know saying you know I'd rather be a moon, that that we begin with prayer that we ask for the Spirit to to give us discernment in truly identifying what our gifts are. Um, so that's that. And then, you know, do one for yourself, but have at least one or two others in the church do one for you. Again, this is one of our ways around this um, and trying to make this out, you know, this outward out confirmation to be made clear. Like what Jim was saying, that this is sort of a guide. We want the church to come around to be able to identify these things. And we want it to be a means of encouragement. So, if you have a spouse, you fill out one for yourself. Have your spouse fill out one for you. And then I encourage you to find someone else in the church that knows you well to fill one out as well. If you do not yet have a spouse, then have you have two others within the church. And also, if you want to get other people from outside the church to fill one out, sort of in, in addition, do that as well. But we really want this to, to again, be, be a means of encouragement. Um, and then have them completed uh, by August 30th service. Now, you can fill them out digitally. You don't have to print them out. And you can just bring your answers, like print out the answer page on, on that 30th. You know, so if you don't want to waste ink and paper, you know, save, you know, save the inventory with your name on it. You know, just print that bad boy out and just bring one sheet of paper in. That's all we really need. That would be great. Um, because, it, you know, it's 11 sheets of paper. You do that three times. You know, plus, you know, Jim's going to be doing it for a lot of people because he knows everybody better than everyone else. So he's going to be the first people, person that people call to. I am allowed to say no. Okay. Would you come to me? I've already done like four of them. I'm allowed to say no. But that number, number four, Jim's allowed to say no. Let this be a means of edification for the body, Jim. Jim, look at it as an opportunity <laughs> yeah, okay. for you right. to edify yeah, the body. You're right. I, I, but, I repent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, I won't say no. But, but you know, be, be thoughtful in this. You know, Let, let's take this seriously. When, when somebody asks you to do it, look at that. It's just like, yeah, this is an opportunity for me to encourage. And let's come on the 30th really excited about seeing the way that God has equipped each of us. You know? I, I'm, I'm curious and looking forward to seeing how God has equipped this body. As, yeah. as uh, simple as it is right now to, to uh, do what he's called us to. You know? This is good stuff. So, um, yeah, we're running out of time. We'll skip uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 as a benediction. We'll just close in prayer. Jim, would you close in prayer? Yeah, I'd be happy to pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, rejoice in your uh, glorious design and uh, 
sovereign purpose for your people. Um, God, we recognize that it is you who has uh, determined uh, how your people are gifted for the building up of the body. God, we recognize that that spiritual giftedness is only possible because of the work of Christ at the cross and his glorious resurrection. It's because of Jesus um, being our propitiation, being our Savior, being our Lord, uh, makes spiritual gifts even possible. And God, we recognize that it is through and by your Spirit that these gifts are given, are manifested. And we rejoice and give you glory and honor and praise for that. And uh, God, I just thank you that you've made us and put us together in the body the way that you have. And Father, I agree with Chet, and in prayer, I want to just acknowledge and, and, and say to you that um, I'm excited to see how you've gifted this particular body. And uh, God, we know that it'll be, it'll be good because it's your work. It, it'll be right because it's what you desire. It's according to your will. And so, Father, we rejoice in that, and I pray that we would indeed celebrate the work that you have done in gifting um, this body in the way that you have. Um, God, I, I thank you that um, thinking about and praying about spiritual gifts um, also reminds us of the unity that we have in Christ. Father, thank you not only for gifting us, but thank you for making us one body with Christ as our head. Um, may we treat one another in our giftedness um, with honor and value. Uh, because your word teaches us that each one in their giftedness is inherently of great value to the body. Uh, Father, thank you that that's the way that you've designed it. Um, I pray we would live that out, that we would express those truths in the way that we live. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.